Well, it is, good to, uh, it is good to be here with you this morning. My name is Jake Pickens. I'm a deacon here at State Road Church, uh, and uh, uh, I'm happy to be sharing in this pulpit ministry. Uh, Pastor Josh is away uh, today, uh, although I did speak with him, and uh, he's, he's preaching today anyway um, by happenstance that uh, he'll be preaching at uh, the church where his father serves. So, uh, it, it seems like that man finds himself preaching wherever he goes. You know, you could, you could call it the fate of Tate. Uh, but uh, I have to say, being back in this pulpit has brought back, or at least afforded me the opportunity to remember the last time I was in this pulpit for a Sunday morning. Uh, and I, I, I'd have to think it's a no, no less than 10 years ago. Uh, I was 20, 21 years old. Uh, Pastor Greg, at the time, had asked me to come and share what was on my heart, uh, what, what the Lord had, been, had placed on my heart uh, in the Word. And uh, I don't know what I would have said to you people at 21 years of age, uh, but uh, I, I guess I, I trust that to the Lord's work. But a lot has changed. Uh, a lot has changed in 10 years. A lot has changed in my life. Um, when I was 21... Um, I had no kids, I didn't have a wife, pretty sure I was working at the Braden Theater shoveling popcorn, so that was, uh, you know, I'm very good at that. Um, that's how I made my way. Um, but a lot's changed. I now have kids, I have a wife, I have gray hair. Uh, if you look closely, it's here in the sides, so a lot's happened in 10 years, and I'm sure the gray hair has nothing to do with the woman or the children. Um, <laughs> But uh, that's the children, I'll tell you right now. It's definitely the children. <laughs> but a lot's changed with me, and in some ways, not so much has changed. Ten years later, I'm, I'm here, I'm preaching to you, sharing in God's Word. I'm still excited about that. I'm, I'm excited about preaching and teaching and the church and salvation and what God is um, doing among His people. And, uh, and then I also take a great deal of encouragement when I look out. I see lots of familiar, faithful faces that have been here week after week, um, year after year, uh, and, and more than 10 years, some of you, um, it's exercising your gifts, worshiping together, encouraging the body. Um, and then, of course, I see some new faces, which are also uh, a great encouragement to me as well. So it's good, it's good that we're all here uh, together, um, sharing in this day and in this word together. All right. A little mutual encouragement is uh, a good way to start our time together. The passage that we're going to gather around this morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. And while you turn there, that's 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. I want to tell you about a guy I know. His name is Cowboy Shane. Uh, Cowboy Shane is uh, an alumni of a school that I went to, a one-year Bible school. It's called Bix. And uh, he wasn't in my class, but he was in another class. Um, and because it's a small school, this happens a lot. You meet a lot of other people from other classes. There's quite a few alumni uh, even here today. Um, and they're all a little strange in their own way, but, but Shane is a standout. 
And I, I don't even know Shane that well, so he'd probably be really weirded out that I'm even talking about him. But he's a standout guy. He's a cowboy, a real deal cowboy. And the first time I met him, I took one look at him and I thought, this guy is from a different time, man. He's from a different place. He does not belong in this time. I mean, this is a, this is a Wrangler jean, plaid shirt, bucket hat wearing type of guy with the boots with no laces and the square toe and like three different shades of brown. You know the one we're talking about. Not the kind of like we're in Nashville and we're, we're having a night out on the ta- town kind of cowboy, but like a real cowboy, okay? This is, this is the guy. I mean, he knows rope tricks. He can lasso you. Is there anybody in here that knows rope tricks? Okay, he stands out. That's, what I'm trying, that's the point I'm making. When I think, when I met the guy for the first time, I thought, this guy does not belong here. And I don't know if he knows how to use a phone or drive a car, but I can tell you right now, I can picture Shane riding horseback across a prairie with like a lever action rifle on one side and like a lasso rope on the saddle horn. You know, the, the, and maybe he's riding out to rustle some cattle or maybe he's going to untie a lady from some railroad tracks or uh, maybe he's just got to build a fire before nightfall. I don't know. But that's where my mind goes. I'm thinking this guy doesn't, just doesn't belong in this place and time. You could call him an old soul. You know these types. You, every once in a while you meet a person and you're like, this is just an old soul. They just don't, they don't belong in this place and time. They belong in like a different time. And sometimes, sometimes we... Uh, we think that way as well. We think about the time and place that we're in, and maybe we look at our current cultural setting. Maybe it's political, climate. There's all kinds of things that make us long and think about being in a different time and a different place than we're currently in. Uh, I often hear it manifested like uh, folks will say that they, they remember when they were a kid, um, and kids played in neighborhoods together, and parents made other kids mind and sent them home for dinner, and it was safe, and there wasn't as much concern. Uh, Linda Gahagan told me a couple weeks ago that they taught the Lord's Prayer in school when she was a little girl, which is amazing. And if you've been to school in the last 20 or 30 years, maybe more, uh, that's unheard of. It's, it would be bizarre to, to take place in uh, school today. But we all, we all at times uh, find ourselves longing for a different place and a different time. And there's a sense in which that's a good thing, really, uh, that, that longing uh, for a time when Christian culture or kingdom principle uh, is prominent and rules and reigns. I think that's what these folks mean when they, they reference uh, t- days gone by, what they miss about days gone by. Um, but there's a sense in which that's good. Uh, there's a sense in which we should long for kingdom principle and for Christian culture. Uh, really, that longing ultimately should be a longing for a day that has yet to come, not so much for a day gone by. Uh, see, in Acts 17, Paul says this as he's preaching to uh, a, a group of uh, thinkers, I guess they are, philosophers in the Europagus. He says, from one man he made all nations, that's God, God made all nations, that he should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. You see, the time and the place that you're in is something that's sovereignly founded. It's like, all right, Jake, we know that. That's basic. We know that God put us in the time and place that we're in. But it's a good reminder that that, that, 
that that is akin to all the other things that are sovereignly founded in your life. Well, what, when we say that, what are we talking about, sovereign foundations? We're talking about things like who, the parents you're born to, things like your genetics, uh, things like uh, your gender, your skin color, all kinds of things that God gifted you, you didn't necessarily get a say in, that God gifted you the way he made you. Time and space is one of those things. Where you are today is specifically in God's plan and in his will. That you're here today is by God's appointment. So that's a sovereign foundation. You could even say that, that faith, if you read the book of Romans, chapter 8, is something that's sovereignly founded. Paul says that for those that God foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. So that's the, that's the order of salvation, and it begins with his foreknowledge of you. So even your faith in Jesus is something that's sovereignly founded. So we're building. The time and place that you're in is sovereignly founded. Your faith is sovereignly founded. And if you're in a time and a place that's specifically meant for you, uh, my encouragement to you is that God also has prepared you for the time and the place that you're meant to live in. So even though Shane's a cowboy, and even though he knows rope tricks, and I'm sure he can use a phone, uh, God has equipped him to live in this time and this place that he's in right now. All right, Romans chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. I'll read it to you. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still, another, another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Paul's basic encouragement to us is in Acts 17 is that God has ordained our time and place uh, for living. Uh, and as people of faith, that's a basic truth that we hold. When we say that Jesus is Lord, uh, we confess that God is in control. Uh, we we now surrender ourselves to Jesus' lordship. That's what calling Jesus Lord means. It means that we yield. But just because we know that he's in control and that he's at work in the world, we often consider it, a, I think, somewhat of a mystery how it is that God is working in the world. All right, so this, that's, that's basic bare-bones Christianity. When we yield our life to Jesus, Paul talks about who, who it is that says Jesus is Lord, though, People that say 
Jesus is Lord are people who have made the confession of faith, those whom the Holy Spirit has been at work in. And a basic tenet of faith is that we know that God is at work. Think about what your faith would be if we, if we weren't sure if God was at work in the world. No, God is at work in the world. The, the question that I think is less clear and maybe folks have less of an understanding of is, is what it means for him to be at work. What is his means to work? How is he at work? Uh, those are a little bit more difficult questions. And so we'll tackle just that, that question there. If we know that God's at work, how does he work? Well, how do we start answering that question? Well, first let's talk about what is, what is his work. What, is, what was Jesus' work when he came? What was, the, what was the nature of his ministry when he came? If that's not evidence that God is at work in the world, I don't know what is. God sent his only son on a mission, not for nothing. He didn't spend his time watching TV. They didn't have TV, but whatever, maybe playing poker, whatever type of things they could have wasted their time with. He came with a mission. Luke 19.10 says this, that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. To seek and save that which is lost. Ephesians uh, 1.9 says, he lists three purposes that, of, of what Jesus was doing in the world. You can find these, if you, if you have a pen, you can jot down these, these passages as we, uh, as we go through them. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, this is what he says about Christ's purpose in the world. It says, He made known to us the mystery of his will, which he purposed in Christ to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ. Ephesians uh, 2, 15 and 16, His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. You'll start seeing repeating words. Ephesians 3.10, His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Work, the body of Jesus' work, he says in Luke 19.10, is to seek and save that which is lost. That's what Jesus' stated mission is. The Apostle Paul uh, comes out in Ephesians 3 and, and, and gives us a description, a little bit, a little bit of depth to what, as to what Jesus was doing. When Jesus left the world, he had a core group of believers, disciples. He'd been preaching and he had built a core group of believers Paul clarifies for us that the goal was to continue building on that foundation that Jesus left. That's why he, he talks about oneness. He talks about building. And in, the final, in that final verse in Ephesians 3, he says, he uses the word church. He uses the word church. He wasn't talking about a building. He's talking about a body, a family, a group of these people who were lost and are now found through the saving work of Jesus, through the gospel of his cross. And Christ's purpose was to rally these people together. Now, you could think of it like this, Jesus left. He established a core group of people, 
His intent, as Paul describes it, was to build a family for himself, but he left. Hmm, interesting strategy. Paul says this later in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. If Jesus' work in the world is to gather to himself a group of people who previously were nothing, who previously were debtors to God, who previously were enemies of God, and he made them a thing that now loves God, worships God, and seeks to live their life in accordance to his will, how would that continue to propagate if Jesus had departed? We talk a lot about being the hands and feet of Jesus. You'll see this in songs, uh, popular Christian songs. You'll hear people saying it like we are. We're, remember, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. But what does it mean? To, what are we talking about when we say that we're the hands and feet of Jesus? Well, a lot of times we're, we're pretty close to the truth. We're, we're, we're doing the work of God to take the gospel and carry it in a very great commission-like mindset to propagate that gospel and share it. I want to lay a little bit of foundational work as to the, to, the, to the why behind all that, to the what behind all of that. I think it's, we forget that the, the whole idea here is that God's building for himself a family that he'll one day return to. So if Jesus was here preaching and is now not here, but he intends to come back, I'm telling you that he intends to come back to a family he intends to come back to the exact family that he ordained before the beginning of time. I say this all the time, and I said it this morning even in prayer. Today the sun came up because God is at work in the world today. The sun came up because the last saint has not marched in. The sun came up because the work of building Christ's church is still happening now, everywhere, all the time, until he returns. Jesus himself said he didn't. I don't know the time. Why doesn't he know the time? I would speculate that he doesn't know the time because he's still at work. He's not looking up from his work. He's at work. It's up to the Father to know. It's up to Jesus to submit and, and uh, to what the Father has planned. He made that clear to us. I think Jesus is about his work. I think that's why he doesn't, he's perhaps not concerned about the day or the hour. But Jesus departed and left us not empty-handed. And this is the direction that I think Paul is taking us in this passage. You remember when Jesus departed, uh, he said, he said, look, it's better for me that I go. Or it's better for you that I go. But don't worry, I'll send one. And what is he called? Do you remember what? The Holy Spirit, the Comforter. I'll send one in my place. And he didn't send a lesser version, by the way. He sent, the, Jesus left, but the Spirit of Christ came in his place. Well, what's the big idea? Why, why leave Jesus just to send a Holy Spirit? Well, what's the Holy Spirit's ministry? Again, let's talk about what their work is. The Holy Spirit's ministry is the indwelling of people. 
It's working in the individual lives of his people. That's what Paul says here. He says the people, nobody with the Spirit of God can say that, pronounce anathema on Jesus. That's pronounce a curse on him, right? Because they love him. They have the Spirit of Christ reigning and dwelling in them. And so, in the same token, nobody can say Jesus is Lord and make that confession in an honest way without the Spirit's leading them to do it. So we're all building, I'm building you towards the direction uh, and understanding that Jesus has left, but he's left the work of his ministry to you, to us. One of my favorite preachers, uh, Eric Ludi, put it this way. He said, God did not just deal with the penalty of sin in crushing his son. He didn't just deal with the problem of sin by clothing you in righteousness. He didn't just adopt you as children into his household when formerly you blasphemed him, but he also gave you a commission. What does that mean? It means that he has said to you, partner with me in this work. I need your help. I want you to help me. I want you to do this work. It's unfinished. Do you understand? What an incredible endowment that God has called you to share in his work, be his hands and feet in the world and build his church. It's incredible. Now, if God has given you the work to do, the time to do it, the place to do it, I'm suggesting to you that he's also given you the means to do it. He's also given you the tools of the trade, so to speak. Paul says in verse 4, Uh, seven, rather. To each one, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The manifestation of the Spirit is, the, is given for the common good. He's talking about a spiritual gift. And that's what, what Paul is talking to the, the church at Corinth here about, is about spiritual gifts. So what are spiritual gifts? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, all right, let's talk about tongues. What's that all about? What's, this, what's speaking in tongues all about? But I want to talk to you just in general about spiritual gifts. I think the thing that makes this passage and other passage, passages about spiritual gifts so tricky is that they don't give us a form or a checklist to help us figure out what, spiritual, what our spiritual gifts are exactly. But let's talk about what they are. Paul says this simply. Spiritual gifts are assigned manifestations of the Spirit of God. Assigned manifestations of the Spirit of God. That's, a, that's simply, you could boil that back down to, it's a gift from God. That's what it is. And it manifests itself in your life. And it manifests itself in all kinds of ways that the Holy Spirit manifests itself. The Holy Spirit ministers to you all in all kinds of diverse ways. He ministers to you in times of need. He sends you encouragement. He sends you conviction. He sends you peace. He sends you friendship in all kinds of ways. 
And so it is with gifting. It's, a, it's an assigned manifestation of the Spirit, a gift from God. The question I think therein is, well, who, who gets them? Who gets a gift? Uh, and, and this is something that uh, I think can be contentious. Maybe, uh, maybe there are some of us in here who are new to the faith, and that's a legit question. Uh, well, who gets spiritual gifts? If, uh, all right, they're, n- they're an assigned gift. Who are they assigned to? Maybe you're a seasoned believer and you've not heard this uh, preached on or preached on well. And I'll tell you right now, this is not easy to understand and read and teach, but there is basic principles here that um, we, we need to grasp. So who gets a gift? I think oftentimes we think that uh, gifts are for elevated ministries, maybe pastors probably get gifts, spiritual leaders in general, worship leaders, missionaries, church administration, traveling evangelists, definitely our missionaries, uh, and of course the apostles. And you would be right. All of those gifts, all of those roles require an endowment from the Holy Spirit to do. I'm not here in this pulpit without the Spirit's help, I'll tell you that. All of these roles require the Spirit's help and leading and specific endowment for it to be achieved, for it to be done. But I think there's two misconceptions uh, that we have about about spiritual gifts that um, can really lead us astray if we're not careful to, to, to clarify them. One is that just that, that only those who hold places of spiritual leadership are spiritually gifted or endowed. It's not true. It's not true. There's, a list, there's lists of all kinds of spiritual gifts that are listed from uh, Peter and Paul, things that, uh, things that the Holy Spirit um, endows people with, uh, that, and not all of them are gifts of leadership. Now, we see that there are, there, is, there are instances in the Bible where they put preference or it seems like there's an esteem for things of leadership. It's not because they're greater gifts. It's simply because those gifts need extra encouragement because they're doing work of ministry that's um, difficult and weighty at times. But each man and woman is given a gift uh, just as God designs. Uh, the second misconception um, that we see, or that I see from time to time, is that spiritual giftedness is something that's attained, something that's attained through maybe an advanced spiritual status, that you can get a gift from the Holy Spirit if you pray hard enough, if your faith is great enough, if he so moves and chooses to bless you in this way, friends, it's, you can't find that in the Bible. Paul says it simply at the beginning of this passage. Anyone that says Jesus is Lord says so by the Holy Spirit. When that Spirit indwells you, he brings with him all that he is. There's no diet version. He does not withhold Jesus has not sent you something that you should strive after. That type of thinking flies directly in the face of the gospel. 
What's a gift if you have to earn it? A gift is a gift. It's given to each one for the common good. And this is, this is good news. Uh, each one gets a gift. Uh, Paul's critique um, of the Corinthian church is this, that, that some of them have taken their gifts and lorded it over others. I have, a, I have this gift, and you do not. I have this gift, and I don't know what gifts you have. And Paul gives this, this critique that, that they're in the wrong, that to lord, your, lord the endowment that God has given you is wicked. Um, that those who, the issue was that those who were speaking in tongues were using that as an evidence that they were uh, elevated by God. Uh, the good news is, is that nobody in this room can say that God has passed them over when he handed out gifts. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have a gift. Nobody's been left out. And the other, the, the, the other good news is that no one gets them all. Why is that good news? Why would it be, what, what could go wrong if everybody had every spiritual gift? I think it'd be the, the very same issue. Uh, it, would be, it would be just uh, nonstop um, chaos. But I think the most important thing uh, that Paul wants to drive home here is a sense of interdependence. True to God's design in all things, we are driven to dependence on Jesus. Yes? Has a, has a preacher ever steered you to depend less on Jesus? then he shouldn't have. Always we're driven to dependence on Jesus for all our needs, for all our wants, and I would say for our part in his mission. Everything that we have, Paul says that in, in him uh, we live, move, and have our being. Everything about us is dependent on Jesus being who he is. And the same is true with gifts. That same ethic, that same ethos lives and exists in the church. Each one has a gift so that when your gift is needed and required, you can go and meet the need of another. There's plenty of us in here who feel maybe, I don't know, less spiritual lately. Maybe like you don't belong. Maybe like you have nothing to offer. A little down and out. God has equipped another to come and give you encouragement. God gives to each one according to a design. Uh, God often gives to us in ways that we don't expect. I know that that is true in my life. Uh, and, and I think that a lot of times we think that God provides, again, in kind of ethereal and out there ways. Maybe they're mysterious ways. Uh, but I'm telling you that if you think about it, most of the time... When you were down and out and you needed encouragement, that encouragement came by word of mouth, that somebody came and brought encouragement to you, whether they pointed out a passage, whether it was a, a pastor in a pulpit, whether it was a friend at, at, in the pew next to you, whether it was a, a card dropped off, there's all kinds of ways in which God provides. And I would suggest that he does all of that provision through his people. 
through each other. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 18, it says, But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So your gifting is specific. There's no gathering of believers anywhere on this planet that lacks what they need to grow and to build. Everything is provided. God will provide for them what they need through the gifting of another. That much is clear. Again, it's in the same, that same thinking of he's given you faith, he's given you a time and place, he's collected you into a group, and he's not going to uh, see you destroyed or um, shipwrecked. But rather, he'll provide for you. I'm suggesting that the way he provides for you, I think Paul would, would say the same, is that often it is through the gifts of one another. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 uh, says this, it was, he, it was he who gave to some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. That's what I'm doing today. I'm here to encourage you as a preacher to prepare you for works of service. My hope is that you will give consideration to the spirits leading in your life. That something in you would, would wake up to the reality of God's work and mission in the world and what your role in it is. It's not hands-off. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for pastors. And again, guys, just to be clear, I'm not even necessarily talking about out there, like in the world, like in Zimbabwe. I'm not talking about you need to saddle up and do that, although if the Spirit is leading you to do that, we should get together and talk about that as a family. But I'm talking about here. All of what Paul is talking about is to the church in Corinth. You're all meant to serve one another here. Give yield to one another. Interdepend on one another. The only one that has all the gifts is Jesus. So we depend on him. How is he working? Through everyone else. I have a need. He meets it through someone else. Uh, he gave the apostles, uh, evangelists, pastors, teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's the idea, the building up of the church, the ultimate goal, until we all reach unity in the faith, unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You cannot Get to a place of spiritual maturity if you don't understand the fundamentals. And the fundamentals are that you have an endowment from God for the work of God, that you're partnered with him and that he's given you a gift to do that work. Okay, so gifts are for the building of the church. Jake, you've hammered it home. There's work to be done. He's equipped us. How do I know what my, my, what my equipping is? How do I know what I'm supposed to be doing? It's a great question. That's a hard question, but it's a good question. How are gifts identified? Do we have a slide for that? Well, we got what are spiritual gifts. How are gifts identified? Again, 
I would love to say that you could just find a, 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 a little chart and, and go through. And there are some helpful things out there. Maybe some of you know uh, about the Enneagram, and maybe you feel one way or another about the Enneagram. I hear about it all the time. Uh, I'm a number two or three or what, what, whatever I am. Uh, and that does say some things about my personality, but we don't have that for spiritual gifts, okay? We just don't have it. Uh, but what, what we do have, and I'm going to try to preach true to the text on this because this is not, there's a lot of ways to go sideways with this. But how we find out what our spiritual gifts are are couched right here in the context of this whole passage. You find out what you're meant to be doing by doing in the context of the church. Does that sound confusing? Here's what it is. Gifts can't be identified on your own. They don't get identified solo. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is now, nothing's going to change if you don't do anything about that. If you're sitting here going, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, if you go home and sit and think about it for a long time, you may not get any clarity on that. Prayer is involved, but that includes another. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. But your gifts are worked out in the work field. When you took your first job, that may have been your last job, but it probably wasn't. I don't shovel popcorn anymore. I do other things. When you took your first job, you tried out a few things. When I worked at Burger King, I found out that I wasn't good at toasting buns. They booted me. No, I was good at toasting buns. I was bad at slicing tomatoes. They wouldn't let me do it anymore. So I moved on to something else. In a similar way, so it is with working out your gifts. Paul doesn't tell us, this is what your gift, this is how you do it. By the way, he gives us a list of gifts, but I would suggest that it's not a complete list of gifts, because I think the Holy Spirit is constantly working and meeting different needs at different times in different ways through different people. And so, your gifts may change over time. His endowment may change over time in what he has you, in whatever capacity he has you working. So what am I really saying? What's at the heart of this? Second Timothy 1, 6 through 7. For this re- reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave us the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I want to key in on that, that last section of verse 6. The gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What does that mean? Paul is saying to Timothy, continue in this work. Timothy's uh, particular gifting is, again, preaching, teaching. He's an eldership type. He's meant to be uh, helping families of God get established as they move from town to town preaching. That's the, the ministry of apostleship. But Timothy's gift didn't come to him because he stood himself up and said, Paul, I'm a preacher, and I'm going to go. No, Paul says, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That means Timothy's gift was affirmed by another. It means Paul told him, look, you've known the scriptures since you were a little kid, and it seems like you have the ability to teach them. It seems like you have a love and enjoyment for this work. You should pursue this. 
You should do this work. And so, in a similar way, I'm encouraging you. What are some things that God nudges you to help with, to work on? If it's giving, then give. Give generously. If it's showing compassion to people, if you see that person in the pew and you know they're struggling, if it's putting an arm around that person, put an arm around them every time. If it's preaching, sometimes you got to preach. Tiring as it is. Whatever your gift is, it's worked out and affirmed by others. Now, overseeing that sort of thing, that's my, that's my job. That's, that's mine and Andrew and Josh. That's, that's eldership leadership work. Is overseeing that though, instructing you on these things, making sure that you understand these things, helping you foster these things. But I can't be in between all of the goings on with all of you. It doesn't work like that. And I wouldn't want to. The Holy Spirit's doing that. He's working among you. So the way you work out what your gift is is by rubbing shoulders with one another. Maybe it's serving coffee downstairs. Maybe it's working in the children's uh, ministries. Maybe it's deep intercessory prayer that's for the benefit of others, for the love of others, praying for the lost, praying for people who are hurting and in need. I know that uh, well before Greg invited me into this pulpit 10 years ago, we we went through a long process of doing this where I had come back from Bible school and I had, uh, I had this deep love for the Bible, a deep love for communicating the Bible, uh, a deep love for salvation and what God, the redemptive power of God and what he's done in my life. And so uh, I brought that to Greg and to Pastor Nate. I miss Nate. Uh, I brought that to them and and, uh, and they said, well, let's, let's, let's give this some consideration. And they gave me small doses of things. They gave me a Sunday school class to lead um, with some oversight. Uh, they gave me some, I had the opportunity to share in the varsity ministry, um, all kinds of small ways. And then that built up to where Greg said, all right, put together a sermon. So I did. I think it was Ezekiel 36, which is wild to think that that was my first choice. A wheel within a wheel, and oh, what was I thinking? Uh, and somehow he vetted it, so out it went. But I was given opportunities to work, that, work those things out, the Lord's calling on my life. That's the idea. It's also, so it's your idea to, to, to put some thought and some movement into those things, but it's also your idea to pay attention to those who you think would do well with something and to invite them to be part of it. Guys, we're not just working for working's sake. We're doing things that bring us encouragement and joy. These are things that will satisfy. Doing the work of Christ is satisfying. My eyes are bloodshot. I'm exhausted, but I'm satisfied in this work because it's what he's asked me to do. It's what he's set out for me to do. I'm happy about that. When I say I'm happy to share in this pulpit ministry, I mean it. And so this isn't work that's meant to wring you out. This is work that's meant to bring you satisfaction. Lots of us have the privilege and benefit of having jobs that we really love. 
I'm extremely blessed that I wake up every day, Monday through Friday, and I don't go, oh, I got to go in. All right, man, come on, we can do this. No, I wake up every day and I'm, I'm excited about what I do. That's a blessing. And that's the same way with church work, working among the saints. It's a blessing. Now, look, I understand that there's apprehension in these things. I can imagine. Maybe you're a mother with a boatload of kids and your husband works full-time and you're wrung out and you cannot fathom adding anything else on top of your shoulders piled up. I get that. I understand that. Folks, there's seasons of these things. You're always to be serving, but there's seasons of things. There's definitely a way for you to serve. But there's, def- there's also definitely a way for you to be involved. So if you're thinking, I cannot go to this Bible study, I cannot go to this small group, I cannot go to this extra thing, what I'm saying to you is, this is a matter of faith. If you go, God will give you encouragement through someone, somehow, I cannot clearly define that for you, but I'm suggesting to you that this is an issue of faith, that if you go to this thing, God will work through it. If you serve, put yourself out there and serve in a way, whatever it is, God will work through it. That's my encouragement to you. You've got to at least put yourself out there and try. How are our gifts used? Same vein of all, everything else. And this is what I mean. I'm trying to preach true to the, what's linear in this text. And I think it seems like as you read it, there's a lot of this type of gift and that type of gift. And it seems like it goes up and down like this, but in reality, it's very, very linear. The whole thing is couched in unity. This whole book is dealing with the issues of lack of disunity of lack of unity. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper uh, as soon as I can finish up. And even Paul chastises the Corinthians for that, that they don't do well with it, that they're even in taking the Lord's Supper, they're not unified. Um, So how are gifts used? They're used in a unified way. They're used in the body. They're used in service to your brother and sister. They're used for the glory of the Lord. That's the spirit in which you serve. By the way, people will disappoint you, just to be fair. Sometimes you do put yourself out there, and sometimes people let you down. Sinner. But that's, that's grace. Let's not forget that that's what we're about. We're big fans of grace. Redemption's our favorite word. So if someone lets you down, it's not because they're not gifted or you're not gifted or I shouldn't be doing this. Continue in that work, press into it. And again, it may, that may not be the thing that God has endowed you for, but you will receive blessing for being faithful uh, to steward. So I just want to emphasize, this is the application as we wrap up, I just want to emphasize uh, uh, prioritizing your life around serving the church. Now, I don't, know, I don't know what your life looks like. I gave a couple examples of what your life might look like. Um, but I would encourage you to maybe even rearrange your life a little bit. Maybe there are some things in your life that constantly stand in the way of you being available 
to serve the church. And every once in a while, we get these, these calls on our life that bring clarity. Where we get, we're in, caught up in the midst of what, we, what we're doing in the day-to-day, yeah? Whether it's work or, again, kids and gray hair and all the things. And we lose sight of, well, let's say our head is down. And that's what we're working on. That's what we're looking at. And every once in a while, you get a call. And it's clear to you that your priorities are skewed. It's clear to you that you have set aside the things of God for the things that you have in the immediate. I, I would encourage you to, to give some consideration to those things. If the Holy Spirit is pointing something out to you right now, even in this moment, please do not quell that. Don't suppress that. Start praying about that now. Start thinking about the things that are in your life that stand away from you being able to do what God has called and equipped you to do. It may take some serious obedience. It may be painful. But in the long run, it'll be very, very rewarding. You'll be very blessed. You'll see that blessing manifest and spill over in the lives of others. But that's my encouragement to you, is that you would would give some consideration for how you have your life ordered. My friends, this is that moment. If God is calling you to that, I'd ask you to give consideration to it and, and, and chase that down. But this is the big idea. God's at work in the world, and God is at work in the world through you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, which is truth. We thank you for uh, the ways in which you equip your people. Thank you for uh, your love to us. It's good to know you today. God, I pray for my friends uh, that if they're wrestling with any of these things, God, that you would meet them in that place. It's your desire that that we would grow in maturity so that we might attain the knowledge of you. What's better than knowing you? We just want to know you. So God, free their hearts, I ask. Put away their inhibitions, I ask. And help them to tap into the, the calling and, and uh, gift that you have given to them. Thank you for this ministry, for the opportunity Thank you for my friends. I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.